one year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I almost tried trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the fur boom. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Trappers love game trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Herb Lennon Game Magazine. Instruction from Perigo Gorman. Herb Lennon's articles, the Herb Lennon ads to information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. Alright, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because we're working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got variables to change the trap, you got bog trap. They start talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get any better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, it was better. Back in the fur shed. This is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood in the fur shed and I'm podcasting live on YouTube. The Trapping Today podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-C-E-R-O-S dot com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Check out Cots Bros. We're also brought to you by OnX. Use the Hunt app to turn your phone into a GPS on the trap line. Mark your trap locations, get landowner information, scout using the latest aerial imagery. It's all there at the OnX app. Go to onxmaps.com. Dot com and use the promo code TRAP, T-R-A-P, to get 20% off of your first purchase. All right, guys, it's been a while. It's great to be here. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, one of the, it's, it's uh, middle of summer. It's late July, and I just got out of a hay field. It was too wet to, uh, to bale. I got this hay all dried up, and I took a little bit of a gamble on the weather. It's rained all summer long here. It's been absolutely horrible um for a farmer trying to make hay pretty much nobody has gotten any in i got a little bit of hay in and i've I've been kind of taking a gamble with the weather just because i haven't had a chance to make any at all to speak of so um it's rained we haven't had a stretch for more than two days in a row without rain since uh the beginning of june and so it has been there i take that back there was one stretch in june where we got three days without rain and I did make a little bit of hay in that stretch, but uh, nothing really to speak of since we've we've been harvesting here. And so I got about 10 bales made and the raindrops started coming down. So I, I uh, tucked my tail between my legs and came back. But um, to get caught up as far as trapping goes, the good thing about all this rain is I have had a chance to put together a bunch of things on the computer and... I have uh, finished up the Trapping Today magazine, issue two. So if you've been tuning in for a while, you know that issue one came out this spring. This was kind of a pilot project. It was something that was brand new for me. Uh, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it, but I I like to write. And I, had, uh, I was looking for a project, and I wanted to do something a little bit unique. And I thought a digital magazine would be kind of something cool to do. Um, and, uh, and I did it. So, uh, I put together that first issue. I think it was pretty successful. It had a bunch of different articles. Uh, I can't remember how many pages, uh, were in it, but it was, you know, it was, I don't know, 70, 70 or 80 pages. And, uh, it was free. I offered it for free, kind of a pilot project, see what the interest was like. And, uh, it had, I think 2,500 people read it. So I thought that was pretty good. There was, um, I don't know, there, there, there was a lot of good feedback from different people. Um, but I kind of stopped. I, I put the magazine out. I, I, a bunch of people read it. Everything was great. And I just kind of stopped and I didn't, I didn't proceed with anything else. And a couple of months went by and I ended up, 
realizing that I had, so I had a few things going on. I had the software that is used to put the magazine together, which is through Adobe. That's like 30 bucks a month. The uh, issue, which is the company that turns the digital PDF into a flip book, into like a readable magazine, that was about $68 a month. And then I have the $20 a month for the, the email list that you guys, a lot of you guys, a couple thousand you guys subscribe to. And so um, all that together, I'm paying like $120 a month, $130 a month to, to kind of keep this thing going. And so uh, I wasn't sure where I was going to go. I started working on issue two. A bunch of you guys put together uh, articles and people send in photos and stuff. And I had a bunch of stuff that I worked on. And I um, published issue two. And this is going to be a bit of a trial basis. So this is going to be for sale for $5. This issue two of Trapping Today Magazine, summer 2023. Brand new. As I'm recording this, this is fresh, hot off the presses. And uh, it's 118 pages, and we're going to talk about a bunch of the articles that are in here. For folks that are watching in live on YouTube, I am showing uh, from my tablet a kind of a image of the uh, first page of the magazine. And uh, for folks that want to check it out, go to trappingtoday.com slash magazine, or you can go to issue.com, I-S-S-U-U.com slash trappingtoday. And it'll take you there. So uh, check that out. You'll have the opportunity to preview it and see what's in it before you purchase. And uh, for five bucks, we'll see how many people purchase this and see if uh, see if we can get some buzz going about the magazine and uh, keep it going. All right, live chat, Mountain Mariner, off grid Alaska. Just finally stopped raining here. Rain all summer with low temps. Just finally hit seventy. Yeah, yeah, Mountain Mariner. Um, I've heard that. Uh, there's a guy, uh, I follow a YouTube channel that's in that um, Bristol Bay area. I know you're, I think you're north of there, but uh, it. I guess he said it's every day, just rain every, every day. Finally, you guys got some good weather, um, but but it's been depressing. I know, I, <laughs> I feel you for sure. Um, in other parts of the country are in extreme drought, so kind of uh, kind of crazy how that works but anyway so there's a couple people on the YouTube live but um, there's not much going on in the chat so what I'm gonna do is uh, I'm gonna just go into we're gonna we're gonna talk about the magazine and I'm not gonna answer much in the chat if there's more people that show up then we'll uh, I'll, I'll get into that and catch up with it but uh, for folks listening to the podcast um, I'm sorry that it's been a while since I've been on. Uh, one other thing my wife wanted to mention that uh, we have t- we still have t-shirts in stock. The Trapping Today Mustelid t-shirt, uh, prized Mustelids of the North American Trapper, that is uh, available in limited quantities. Go to trappingtodaystore.com to get that. And there's some sizes that are sold out of that. And check both colors because there are two colors if your size isn't available in one color. There might be another one available, uh, that same size in a different color. Um, but those are not going to be restocked. And so when they run out, they're out. So get them while supplies last. And we also have the Trapping Today logo t-shirts. Those are a, a navy blue t-shirt with the Trapping Today Martin logo on them. Those are really cool. We have a bunch of those in stock, and we like to move a few of those. So check them out, trappingtodaystore.com. So... Getting into the magazine, I, I don't know how I want to approach this. Um, oh, other news, by the way. There's a bunch of uh, conventions going on, uh, different state trappers association conventions. Uh, I know a number of you guys have emailed me about your conventions and a couple of people going to the NTA. So I'm going to go over to National Trappers and give you the updated, give you the dates on the NTA, July 27th through 29th. So that's going to be next weekend as I record this. Um, that's in Escanaba, Michigan, a beautiful place in the Upper Peninsula, um, very trapper-friendly area, and that has been an excellent, excellent convention. The NTA, uh, the NTA Escanaba has been very, very successful in the past, and uh, people love it. People love to go there. People love to go back. There are a number of people 
that have emailed me or talked to me and asked if I was going. I'm not going, and I'm probably I'm right now. I was I was trying to go to either Neil Olson's Trap New England Trappers Weekend in Bethel, Maine, or the Maine Trappers Association Fall Rendezvous in uh, Windsor, Maine. Um, right now, the way as far behind as I am with the way the weather's been on the farm and trying to make hay. Um, just for reference, I've made about 60 round bales of hay for my cattle, and I need about 700, uh, maybe a little more than 700 for the number of animals I want to keep. So um, looking like I'm probably not going to make it to either of those, possibly the MTA because that's in September uh, if things change. But it, we're like looking at long-term weather forecasts. It is not looking good for that. So um, I'm not going to be there at those conventions, but I hope that you guys go if you have the chance to go. And I really think you're going to enjoy it. If you haven't been to a convention before, it is such a good opportunity to meet other trappers and to hang out with a bunch of people that have the same interests that you do. And people talking, trapping uh, all day long uh, for multiple days. And uh, it's just it's just really cool because, you know, we all come from different areas, small towns, and there might be one or two trappers in your town. You might hang out with them, you might not, but there isn't really a community available other than like these online communities. So when you go to a convention, you get that community um, and you get to catch up, you get to pick up some supplies and uh, talk with people, maybe watch a few demos and learn some things and uh, and uh, just uh, become part of that whole trapping community. So it's a good thing. All right, so Trapping Today Magazine, issue number two, there's a lot here, and I wanted to go into uh, a few of the articles uh, because, you know, 118 pages, we've got a bunch of pictures, we've got several feature articles and, and a, uh, several other different things um, that that we get into here. But uh, the first off, uh, I start off with an editorial. Hey, Kenneth Cotras, what is up? Good to see you too um, in the chat here on the YouTube um, so I started off talking about uh, tragic wisdom, and this is something that probably a lot of you guys probably aren't aren't thinking about much when you are uh, when we're when you're thinking trapping. But uh, it's uh, it's an interesting little subject that I've thought about a lot, and I've talked about it. We had Philippe Willis, the guy from uh, Our Numinous Nature. He's got a podcast. He he's an artist. He's from uh, Appalachia. And well, he's originally from New York City, and he moved to Virginia to um, to kind of live the uh, wilderness sort of lifestyle, the the rural lifestyle. And he got into trapping. A really neat guy. Uh, we had a couple of uh, podcast episodes with Philippe, and we talked about this just a little bit because Philippe had an experience here with with you know killing animals. And uh, I'm not going to talk about it in too much detail, but that's something that as hunters uh, and as trappers especially we we really have a lot of experience with and the emotions that we deal with when it comes to dispatching animals and killing animals in general um, it's a pretty complex thing Jean-Claude Legault hey Jean-Claude good to see you here uh, on the YouTube live so it's it's kind of a big deal and and um, it's a, it's a personal thing. It's an emotional thing for some people. It affects more than others, but basically we all have, um, a couple of different feelings that are going on when we harvest an animal. So we're out on the trap line, we catch an animal, we have to make the kill. Um, a couple of, of conflicting emotions going on is the happiness and the excitement and the joy of having made that catch and the sadness associated with having to kill an animal and uh, those two emotions are going on at both at the same time and uh, different people process that differently and so I, I kind of I got thinking about it a lot and I ended up uh, stumbling onto this um, ethicist this guy James Tantillo from the uh, from Cornell University in in New York and his basically his main focus of study is the ethics of hunting. And he uh, coined this phrase 
called Tragic Wisdom. And it's kind of describing this whole idea of this emotional experience uh, that we get from harvesting, from killing animals. And so uh, I'm going to read just a little section of this uh, from the editorial of the very beginning of Trapping Today magazine, issue two. Oh, and I forgot to put it in the chat. It's in the YouTube uh, description. I'll include this in the podcast show notes, but uh, I'll give you a link to where you can check out the magazine. Um, It is available for sale as of today. So this is just out. And uh, there's the link, trappingtoday.com slash magazine. Uh, It is for $5. So uh, you can purchase this. It's a digital magazine and it's $5. Uh, You can download it. You can read it on your tablet, on your laptop, on your phone, whatever. Um, And so let's just get into this a little bit. Um, if you if you don't want to pay the five bucks and you're interested in what's in the magazine or you're not sure yet, uh, just click on that link or go to trappingtoday.com slash magazine and uh, you can preview a lot of this. You can see a lot of the articles. You could read the first page of the article and decide whether it's worth it for you to, keep, to uh, continue. So, um, the harvest, the dispatch, the kill. That feeling of excitement and joy combined with a deep internal sadness as you watch an individual whose species you respect and admire die. As trappers, we inevitably deal with a lot of death. It's a more intense personal experience than most people could ever know. And when you're running a productive trap line, it can happen a lot. Some people call trappers bloodthirsty killers who enjoy inflicting pain on animals. We know that's not true and that they'll never experience the weight of emotions that flood a trapper's consciousness at the time of dispatch. But how do we explain it? Why the extraordinary mix of joy and sorrow? What's going on in our minds, and how do we communicate that with the non-hunting and trapping community? And for some of us, how do we justify it to ourselves? In his 2001 paper, Sport Hunting, Eudomania, and Tragic Wisdom, philosopher James Tantillo explores the emotions hunters experience during the kill, and attempts to describe why we feel the way we do and why it's okay, and perhaps a critical part of being human. While Tantillo deals specifically with sport hunting, I see a direct connection to our experience as trappers. As Tantillo puts it, reflective sport hunters develop a realistic awareness of death and experience what may be called tragic pleasure, which yields the important intellectual virtue of tragic wisdom. So he goes into in uh, in-depth detail, um, it's, which is pretty complex, and I've read it like half a dozen times to try to better understand it. But here's my take as a non-philosopher. On a basic level, we all realize that death is part of life. It's an unavoidable part of being on planet Earth, and every living thing experiences it. As humans, our simple existence plays a part in causing the death of countless other organisms, including animals. Even The vegan is a killer, and that's a controversial statement, but it's true. By consuming any type of food, breathing oxygen, living in climate-controlled shelters, driving on the road, and taking part in every aspect of life, we do cause death. The difference with hunters and trappers is that we have a much more meaningful relationship with that death. We take an active and intimate role in it. We kill animals to eat. We kill animals for a paycheck to support our families. We kill animals to resolve problems and so that our fellow humans don't have to. With all this killing comes a heavy burden. Taking an animal's life is a serious thing and should be treated as such and completed with respect and dignity. For a normal person, killing should be accompanied by a feeling of guilt. Why the guilt? Well, maybe it's regret for taking a life so that on a broader level we could continue to live. Perhaps it's a realization that we too will die someday. A reminder of the ever-present shadow of mortality hanging over all of us. Tantillo describes the emotional response as being similar to tragedy, in that it puts us in an ambiguous situation that is quite possibly irresolvable. But it's not just sadness. There's another feeling that comes with taking an animal, and I'm not sure it can be described as happiness or joy, although those emotions are mixed in. To me, it's some sort of deep sense of clarity. Tantillo explains that one of the benefits of hunting is a form of contemplative tragic knowledge that comes from a familiarity and intimacy with death. Knowing the origin of what puts food on your plate and taking an active part of it, 
the sense of autonomy, and the full weight of responsibility are all part of this thing called tragic wisdom experienced during a kill. A lot of us has trouble, a lot of us have trouble explaining to non-hunters and non-trappers what we do. Sometimes we downplay certain aspects of it. Sometimes we lie to ourselves about our feelings or the confusing emotions evolved with the whole experience of dispatching an animal. I'm asking you as a fellow trapper not to ignore these emotions. Embrace them. Try to understand them better. Don't brush them aside. It's okay to feel guilty. It's okay to feel happy all at the same time. It's complicated and that's okay too. That's how it's supposed to be. So that's the uh, opening editorial of the magazine. I want to go into um, a little bit of the article. So the very first article I talk about, Spring Beaver Trapping Tactics. And uh, for being in the middle of summer, I know we're a little bit late, but as I prepared the magazine, it was I was trying to get it released during the uh, spring beaver trapping season. But this will be really good for folks who do have a spring season. Um in, in your area, if you trap for beavers in the springtime, because to be honest with you, spring trapping beaver is a totally different animal. It is so different than uh, the tactics used in the fall or the wintertime under the ice. It's just completely different. Um, in the springtime, beavers have been under the ice all winter long for you know most parts of North America. Um, they have been eating very limited food. The ice uh melts the water is really high beavers are traveling everywhere they're hungry they're looking for mates they're or they've already made it they're looking they're establishing territories uh they're looking for habitat and and finding those habitat boundaries and uh this is the time when it's just a a really unique time that you can catch a large number of beavers um, during a short period of time and the methods are different Uh, and so there's a lot of challenges but there's uh there's a lot to be learned so I go through, um, I talk about a few different concepts of this uh, spring beaver trapping. Um, one thing is make them come to you. Uh, unlike other times of year, spring beaver are on the move. That means you don't have to go and locate lodges, bank dens, dams, feeding areas. You can be more efficient by setting close to the roads that you can access and covering more territory in a short period of time. Because these beaver are moving and they're pretty much going to investigate every stream crossing that is near them. Uh, another spring beaver tactic, uh, use lure and bait to your advantage. Um, they very readily come to lure and bait this time of year. Another one is trap placement. And I talk about how to place your traps uh, relative to uh, water level and the complexities that are involved in that and how to adjust to changing water levels. Uh, I talk a little bit about moving and pulling traps, setting traps, pulling traps, and, uh, and how you can be more effective that way by, by constantly being on the move. Um, and so that's just an introductory article from the magazine on spring beaver trapping. And then I go through, uh, the cool thing about the magazine is I can, you can put in, I'm not limited by space. And so I put in a kind of a, a little bit of a photo essay, I guess you might call it, where there's a whole bunch of different uh, pictures from my spring beaver uh, trap line and uh, different catches in different situations and I'm going to show this on the YouTube but you're not going to be able to see it very well because of uh, the reflection on the screen and everything Um, but if you go to the magazine uh, website you're going to be able to see some of this stuff in the preview and we just go through there's a bunch of different catch pictures and scenery some really beautiful scenery there there's Billy Thompson with uh, casters from a couple hundred beaver hanging up and he's sitting sitting in his uh, at his at his fur shed okay so um, we have a section in the news and this news section I um, and also uh, just a reminder if you are if you have contributed to the trapping today magazine uh, and you've provided either um, either you provided an article that you've written or something else that's substantial I have already sent you an email uh, with a link to where you can find the magazine, uh, where you can put in a special code and you get a free uh, copy of that. And so I've given you that. You you should have that. Check your email. Um, for the rest of you, you got to pay up five bucks, um, the price of admission. And I would appreciate uh, anybody who would uh, would uh, pony up the five bucks to help this thing uh, succeed. 
Um, the in the news article, this issue is about the this new bill in Utah, where uh, the state of the Utah legislature has eliminated essentially all protections for cougar or mountain lion in the state. And so they've gone to a year-round hunting and trapping season and basically removed all harvest limits on cougar. So this is a fairly um, controversial move. There are some some uh, ramifications, potential ramifications to this, and um, I give you a little bit of my opinion on it. Um, I won't. I'll, uh, that's just kind of a teaser there. I won't get into it here. But um, talking about uh, wildlife management in the state, uh, the Utah Utah actually does have a cougar management plan, and my thoughts on how this uh, legislation um, kind of circumvents that plan and uh, and what what potential problems might arise from that so um, that's the in the news section the other cool thing was we get into characteristics of US trappers um, there so every several years um, the, the US Fish and Wildlife Service provides an overview or a, a, they do kind of they they fund a survey of trappers in order to determine um, how many trappers are out there, what the demographics are, what people are trapping for, where they're located, and that sort of thing. This kind of helps with uh, wildlife management and with funding for different wildlife programs. So this is a, a bit of a dated study. It's from 2015, but um, I think it gives a really interesting overview for folks that don't realize what is um, what it what the state of trapping in the United States is. And basically, how many of you guys, I mean, actually, I'll tease this in the chat. I know there's only a few people here on YouTube Live, but um, why don't you give me a shout in the chat if you if you have a guess on how many trappers, uh, how many licensed trappers are there in the United States? Does anyone want to venture a guess there? Um, I'll wait. I'll wait for just a, a minute here, give you a chance. Um, but but shoot it shoot it out there if you got a guess on how many trappers in the United States that um, will include Alaska and Hawaii, which is there's not going to be any in Hawaii, but uh, including Alaska and the lower 48, how many trappers, how many licensed trappers are there in the United States? And this um, this has changed a lot from the old fur boom days when everybody in their grandfather and uncle and brother was a trapper. Um, what I did here is um, it's just a two-page kind of pictorial on the characteristics of U.S. trappers. It gives an overview of how many trappers there are. Okay, Duck Hunter NC, what's up? Uh, Duck Hunter NC says 25,000. It's higher than that, Duck Hunter. It's higher than that. Um, Anybody else want to guess? Um, and so, and it provides an overview total number of trappers, and then it breaks it up into different sections. Uh, and I provide that picture in the magazine on the, the Northeast, uh, the Midwest, the West, and the South. The South is essentially the Southeast. And then it goes into um, a bunch of different other statistics. And I just provided... Uh, highlights, and I'll go over the highlights here. Kenneth Cotter says 100,000. You are getting closer, getting closer. Uh, it it goes over the highlights, and I I provide the highlights, and then I act, there's a link here in the magazine that you can click on. The cool thing with this magazine is it's completely digital, and so uh, I can link out to anything, and you can just click in within the magazine, and it'll provide. You could pull up web pages, you could pull up YouTube videos. Uh, different things uh, very very easily so um, so that that's a, a nice thing to do uh, Rodwood 132,000 Jean-Claude uh, Rodwood for guys that don't know there is a relation there that's my dad <laughs> so good to see you dad um, John he's not a trapper but he uh, he uh, is, is listening in so that's pretty cool Jean-Claude says 280,000. You're way over, Jean-Claude. But you're probably in Canada, so you might be including Canada. 
Okay, so uh, the total number of trappers as of 2015 was 176,573. Um, and that is uh, broken up into these different regions. So the West, the Midwest, Northeast, and the South, and Alaska. Um, and so this was kind of an eye-opener. I There's a little, quick little picture of it. It's not in good focus for YouTube. But I was... Um, I always knew that there were about 175,000 trappers. I'd heard that number mentioned before, and I kind of, you know, that that wasn't really a surprise to me. But the surprising thing to me was where those trappers were distributed, because I'm from the Northeast, and of those 175,000, there's only 22,000 trappers in the Northeast United States. Even more surprising to me was there's only 29,000 of them or 30,000 in the southeast. And even more surprising, the west, which is almost half of the area of the whole country, only has 22,652. And Alaska has 6,500 licensed trappers. There's more, uh, there may be more that are not required to buy a license in Alaska because um, of the native uh, other other. Um, certain exemptions potentially but the big shocker here for me and a lot of you guys who trap in the midwest would know this the midwest section of the united states is ninety-five thousand of those hundred and seventy-six thousand trappers are in the midwest and so this very relatively small area the midwest is where the vast majority of the concentration of trappers is and when you really think about that you know the the raccoon trappers in Iowa Illinois Indiana uh, there's a huge concentration there and there's a lot of farm country and there's a lot of farm people that trap uh, farm kids and people that grew up trapping so it kind of makes sense um, but the reason this was a real eye-opener for me was when the fur market went down um, and the fur market essentially crashed the last few years I thought that the uh, trapping activity was going to be more resilient and less tied to the fur market. Because here in Maine and other parts of the Northeast, even when the fur market's down, people still trap because they love to trap. What I didn't realize was how many of those trappers were in the Midwest. And those trappers, um, they trap primarily for raccoons. And when the fur market tanks and the raccoon price is in, in the toilet, those guys don't have a lot of incentive to trap. And a lot of those guys are trapping for the money. Uh, and and I knew that, you know, you always hear about those guys in the Midwest. They, they might turn it on and off. They'll trap when the prices are good or they won't when the prices are bad. A small percentage of them will keep trapping no matter what. Um, I just didn't realize that they made up such a large percentage. Over half of the trappers in the whole United States and Alaska um, are in that region. So that was kind of cool. And, and uh, just a little more primary target species, 62% of trappers uh, primarily target raccoon, 55% coyote, 37% muskrat, 33% beaver, 30% red fox, and 27% bobcat. So that's that was interesting as well. 98% um, of trappers are male. So there are uh, more female trappers getting into it, but still primarily male-dominated industry. And the average age is 48 years old. Okay, now getting into more of the articles. Hey, Duck Hunter, uh, I was raised in Vermont, trapped in my early days there. Right on, Duck Hunter. Uh, NC, I assume NC means North Carolina. Um, getting into uh, our articles. So Josh Fisher, my friend up in Fairbanks, Alaska, wrote an article on wolf snaring. Uh, wolf snaring tips. So he provided a, a few pictures and some things that he's learned along the way um, in snaring wolves. He talks about the different gear that he uses, uh, the sets, the types of sets he makes, uh, whether that's uh, snare sets, uh, setting in trails, uh, using bait piles, different ways that, that he likes to catch wolves in, in Alaska and he finds to be effective. Um, for, the, for those of you who don't know, if uh, you have uh, some some of your furs that you'd like to have hats or mitts sewed. Uh, Josh operates Fisher Furs, and so he also provides 
um, a service where he'll make he'll make hats and mitts out of your tanned fur if you send it up to him. Uh, probably winter time is the best time for that because uh, uh, Josh and I have been texting back and forth, and and uh, he is an extremely busy guy as well. And uh, so this time of year is real real busy for him with other business ventures. Um, I'm going to skip over just a few other things uh, in the magazine. We go over a fur market report. I won't get into that because uh, folks who have listened to previous podcast episodes know that uh, I've got a lot, a lot of fur market stuff that we've gone into already. Um, but that's, you know, uh, just a, a few page um, update on the fur market and where we're at. Now, I want to talk, actually, Josh, Josh just texted me. Let's see if we can get him in. Uh, the live. Um, I'm going to text him. He's kind of hard to get on sometimes. He's he's in a remote work camp and he has uh, maybe doesn't have the best internet, but we'll see. So, um, this is a really interesting article because it's something that I think has not been discussed in the trapping industry. We're going to talk talking about magnetic fields. This is um, a pot- potentially this is something that could change the way that we trap. Uh, it could unlock an entire. Um, understanding of how animals work sets how animals maybe detect sets or or don't and how we can more effectively trap them and so um, a lot of people have questions about why why did this um, especially coyote trapping especially coyote trapping people will um, ask you know they they just get started and they have a few experiences where a coyote will walk to their set, will get close, and will just walk away. Or a coyote will walk up to the set and will dig up their trap and then walk away. Um, or a coyote will circle at a distance. And there's a number of different reasons that could be happening. For newer trappers, uh, a couple of possibilities is um, they were starting to work your set and the trap was not bedded properly and it wasn't solid. And when the trap is not bedded solidly um, and they step on it and it rocks or moves a little bit they see something's there and they'll dig it up another thing is potentially scent control they could smell that and dig up the trap because they smell it Um, could be your your lures a little bit too strong for the situation and the animal kind of goes in and the lure is just overpowering and it doesn't want to work the set Um, there's a few different reasons but one of the things that i don't think anybody has talked about until kirk DeKalb is magnetic fields And so Kirk wrote this book called An Outdoorsman's Greatest Discovery, The Real Reasons Animals Are Detecting Your Sets and Devices. And I thought this was so intriguing that uh, a couple years ago, I had Kirk, or a year, maybe a year and a half, um, I had Kirk on the podcast, and we did an interview on on what his um, discovery was, how he learned this, and all the different experiments that he did, and his thoughts and experiences with magnetic fields. Um, but basically, the the gist of it is, everything that is metal emits magnetic energy, okay? So, there is a magnetic field around everything, and this varies depending on uh, the size of the metal, the type of steel, the location relative to the Earth's magnetic fields, and so this, the... Uh, Uh, Further south versus further north, the pull, the draw of the magnetic fields is different. Um, There's a variety of different things that affect it. But the fact is, there are magnetic fields. And one thing, when I I first thought, started thinking about this, um, I thought it was a lot of hocus pocus, right? And so I didn't really, I, I thought it was interesting, but I didn't really buy into it that much. But I started thinking about it, and I, I read Kirk's book. And then I started doing a little bit more research on the scientific side of things. And you think back, guys, common sense. How do 
um, birds know to fly south for the winter and fly back north um, in the summertime. Wh- how do they orient themselves? How do, how do they know where north and south is? Uh, they have an internal compass based on the Earth's magnetic fields. Um, there is an a molecule, molecule element. This thing called these things they're flavoproteins. I don't even know what a flavoprotein is, but plants and animals have them, and they're called cryptochromes. Okay, so cryptochromes are what allow animals to sense magnetic fields. Now, some animals have these, some animals do not have them. Um, Some animals, science doesn't quite know yet whether they have them or not. Um, But certain animals have cryptochromes and are very susceptible to being, are very able to sense these magnetic fields. Um, And so, in theory, that would allow these animals to sense the magnetic field that's being emitted from metal or steel. And so they might not just be smelling your trap. They may be sensing that it's there based on these magnetic fields. Um, this was one of the one of the clinchers for me uh, with all of this that that kind of was it was a shocker or is it was it was it helped to kind of convince me that this may be what's going on in a lot of cases is um, coyotes have these cryptochromes where they can sense magnetic fields. Uh, dogs, all dogs have these. Cats do not. And so when we think about from a trapping perspective, coyotes are very smart when it comes to working a set. Coyotes seem to sense a lot of things around our sets that bobcats don't. And a bobcat will step on a bear trap. A coyote, you got to have, you want to be scent free and you got to cover your trap and cover it with dirt and make sure it's all clean. In a bobcat, you can just set a bear trap on the ground and they'll walk right on and step in the pan and get caught. And so that was like, holy smokes. Well, if coyotes are really wary at these sets and they have these cryptochromes and they can sense magnetic fields, maybe there's something to this. So Kirk went into this huge um, multi-year series of experiments and trying different um, magnetic field testing and stuff. And at the same time as he was working on this, there was a massive um, in, increase in technology and improvements to where we can all uh, measure these magnetic fields with our phones, okay? And so every, most every smartphone on the market has um, something called a magnetometer, okay? Um, it is... Uh, it is used as part of your phone's GPS and part of its sensing. Um, but all you have to do, uh, there's a few phones that don't, but pretty much all iPhones and Samsung uh, have have the magnetometer built into them. And you have to download an app. If you get a magnetometer app, you can use your phone to sense magnetic fields. And so it'll basically, um, you basically start the app on your phone and you move it near an object and you can tell how much magnetic field that object is emitting. And this is really interesting, guys. I would encourage you to start experimenting with this because if you if you put that magnetometer to a certain trap, the type of steel will affect the magnetic field. The shape of the trap will affect the magnetic field. Kirk did a bunch of research with cage traps and found that certain designs of cage traps and types of steel will actually make a situation where the magnetic field is lower inside the trap than outside, and it can encourage an animal to move into the trap. So this is pretty fascinating stuff, and, and uh, uh, I go into more detail on that article in the magazine. Um, more on guys that contributed articles. I, I thank you all for uh, the contributions. Um, Austin Anderson, he's from up in British Columbia. He's a trapper there, listens to the podcast. And he submitted an article on animal damage control, working with pocket gophers up there, up in some reclaimed mine sites. That was that was pretty cool. Austin, Austin's a cool cat, and uh, and he's just got started in the ADC, and this was one of his first experiences. So I thought that was pretty neat. Um, another article, uh, Steve Clements. Steve is is from Maine. He's from just a couple hours from me, 
and uh, he has an article called The Lifetime of Memories talking about trapping with his dad, his dad Howard, um, who I actually met when I started trapping when I was in high school. I went down to my first, uh, or college maybe, I went down to my first Maine Trappers Association convention and met Howard just before he passed away. Um, but but he was uh, an old-time trapper and fur handler, and uh, Steve talks about uh, memories uh, memories with his dad, and that's a really cool article too. Um, they used to write down the catch on the rafters of the fur shed, and so Steve uh, he actually has a picture of one of the rafters with his dad's last season and what they caught. Um, so that was neat. Um, a review of a book review of Born on Snowshoes, which is one of my favorite books. It's about Alaska wilderness trapping back in the 1930s and 40s. Uh, really, really cool story. I think a lot of you guys will like that. Um, I did a little article on Martin, on why I like Martin, why I'm a Martin trapper. Beaver traps, there's an overview of, of the different types of beaver traps, pros and cons of each of them. What else we got here? Um, from the past, uh, out of the past, I have, uh, I did this last issue, I did it again. Um, there's an, uh, I like to reprint some of these old articles from the 1920s. And so this is a fox trapping article from Hunter Trader Trapper Magazine, July 1924. Um, did an overview of fleshing knives, talking about the different options just in the fur, fur shed corner. So uh, if you're getting into fur handling and you want to know what fleshing knife to get, uh, I offer some suggestions there. Uh, simplifying lures. I thought this was kind of an interesting article I put together just based on some of my thoughts and philosophy on lures and lure making and using lures. Uh, the different types of lures we go into, um, food lures, call lures, gland lures. Um, and we talk about the different, um, the different attractants for fur bears. I categorize it into, hey, Ottercat in the chat, what is up? Good to see you here. Um, I talk uh, about food lures, curiosity lures, territoriality lures, and reproduction uh, as the four uh, or the four types of um, attractants. Reproduction is difficult to uh, to get into a lure, um, but food, curiosity, and territory uh, those basically um, kind of provide the um, the the types of attractants that food lures, call lures, and gland lures will um, will satisfy. So we get into that a little bit, get you thinking about lures, if you want to make lures or you're looking at buying lures. And uh, I like to get people away from just the, oh, I'm going to buy a, I'm going to trap raccoons, I'm going to buy a raccoon lure. Or I'm going to trap coyotes, I'm going to buy a coyote lure. No, let's let's think more about this. And, and I think uh, if you focus more on the food, food lures, gland lures, um, and call lures instead, you can attract multiple species with um, with one lure, and as opposed to focusing on on individual species lures, and I can think you can be much more effective that way. So that's my thoughts on that. Uh, finally, toward the getting toward the end of the magazine, Cody Tufts, uh, he's from Maine. He's a trapper in. Hey, hey, Josh, what's up, fishing fool? That is that is Josh Fisher, guys. Um, Good to see you here, man. I'm a, you got it here just in time. I'm gonna I'm probably gonna wrap it up before too long, but um, get ch catch catch uh, earlier stuff. I, I think I sent you a link to the magazine, so you should be able to pull it up and check it out already. Anyway, um, Cody wrote an article I titled "The Mountain Bobcat," and so this was uh, a, a a story about a trapping pursuit. Uh, to catch this bobcat in the mountains of uh, southwestern Maine, and uh, a long, hard journey, a long, hard pursuit. Um, it, it was really cool. Cody's a good writer, and he talks about running this trapline on foot for several miles up in the mountains and uh, checking it every day. Just a dedication, hard work, and he ended up catching this this really big bobcat. So uh, that that was a good, that was an interesting article. And a nice way to kind of uh, uh, end the magazine with with that uh, really really good catch. So, um, and then finally, 
One of my favorite things is uh, our friend Philippe Willis from uh, Our Numinous Nature podcast and from, uh, he has a, also has an Instagram channel and Philippe is an artist. He does some incredible work and he has, uh, we have a, a feature, I, I did this last issue and I did it again with this issue where he provides a piece of art and describes it and talks about what um what what kind of motivated him and and Philippe is into this ancient a lot of this ancient stuff and he looked at nature and he looked at all the different things that inspire trapping in nature so he has here um a spider making its web as a trap uh the venus fly trap um the uh this, these pitcher plants that drown insects and frogs and rodents and catch them, a sea anemone that traps uh, using its uh, colored tentacles that inject fish with this paralyzing neurotoxin, and then a trapper, uh, the human that has uh, developed technology and methods in order to catch fur-bearing animals. So uh, that's, that's a really cool way to end with a little bit of art. So that is the Trapping Today magazine. Um, I really... Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, as far as uh, I'm, I'm just going to focus on finally got it out. This has been months in the works. I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, I just hope you guys will check it out and, uh, and pick up a copy, uh, read it. Let me know what you think. Give me some feedback. Always appreciate that. Um, and then we'll just take it from there. You know, um, I probably won't be around for a future podcast for at least, I'm saying another month. Um, it just, uh, just, uh, it's that time of year. It's that time of year. A lot going on. And, uh, and uh, I'll try to get back with you a month from now. Um, and as far as the magazine, we'll see. Who knows if we'll continue this in the future. But um, th- this was a lot of fun to put together. A lot of time and effort. But uh, thanks for folks who contributed. Thank you for people who are going to read it. And uh, it, it was great. It was, it was a lot of fun. So with that, guys, folks on the YouTube, um, I'm gonna wrap it up. It was great to 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 see you guys again tonight. I know it's a summertime, so it's a little bit off season, but it's kind of cool. The same old people show up uh, and just kind of pop in the chat. It's great to see you here, folks on the podcast. Um, Till next time, guys. Um, check out the Trapping Today store, trappingtodaystore.com for your shirts, uh, trapping lure. Starting to sell some trapping lure. People are thinking, already thinking about next season. Um, I will give you just a little heads up for a couple of the lures. I am not going to have the time to develop and put together and source all the ingredients to make new batches of Predator and Predator Plus. So uh, those involve some pretty complex preparation, and I just am not going to devote the time to it this year. So what I have on the shelves here is what I have, and when it sells out, it's not going to be restocked. Those two, Predator, Predator Plus. Um, long distance call and the beaver lure and the rest of the lures, I should be able to keep those pretty well in stock. But just a heads up, if you want that, better get it while you can. Thanks again, everybody. And until next time, keep on talking, trapping, keep on thinking, trapping. We'll catch you on the next episode.